Hi there, I'm Pastor Billy. There are a lot of ways to engage with us, but I wanted to take a moment today to thank you for listening here on the Harrisonburg Nazarene Church Podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. For more about the church, please check out our website, abeaconofhope.org. That's abeaconofhope.org. You can also catch us live on Facebook each Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. We're continuing our series today called The Future Is Now. The Future Is Now. And last Sunday was a pretty exciting Sunday in the life of our church. If you're new and you're visiting, this is an awesome week to show up because we're in the midst of the series really talking about, as a church, who we're called to be. What does God want us to do for such a time as this? And uh, last Sunday morning, God really met us in a powerful way as we launched into the series. And last Sunday night, we did something that we don't typically ever do. We, for one hour, on one Sunday night, we gathered together. All were invited to come for a night of specific vision in this coming year. I have a picture. I just want you to know that the house was full, man. People showed up, and I was grateful. I know some couldn't be here. I get that. I love you, but I was just grateful that God allowed some to be here in the room. And that specific night, uh, there was a spirit in the room, a spirit of expectancy, a spirit of excitement of who our God is and what he is calling us to do For such a time as this. And so if you missed out, if you're curious, we recorded that session, 45 minutes of me talking, uh, but sharing vision that God has for us as a church. It's on our sermons page on our website. There's other information there. In the coming weeks, you're going to hear more. But in case you missed it, you can follow along. You can catch up. You can hear what some of the good news is all about. Uh, I began this night, though, with a question. And I'll kind of begin this morning's message with that same question. The question is this, who are we called to be as the church. And listen, if you were here last week, you know the church, the church is this, but the church is way just as much about that as this, right? The church is just about you and I who literally we're called as the church to be temples of God, that he lives in us, his presence dwells in us. And so what, what we do here in just a few minutes as we leave here is just as important, maybe more important than what we do as we gather here because this is just a a celebration of the church coming together. But who is it that we're called to be as the church as we go? Uh, Not just when we gather here, but as we're unleashed. And so the church shows up in Bridgewater and the church shows up at Harrisonburg High School in JMU and the church shows up in, in the place where you work and in your office building and in your neighborhood and in your community. Who are we called to be for such a time as this, the church? That question led us to a statement that I have on the screen for you this morning. You you saw this statement if you were here last week. It's not a statement necessarily to memorize, but it's a statement that helps give us focus and direction as leadership over these past months, as we've kind of uh, led us to this point in our journey. So I'm going to share it with you today. Uh, It says this, at HFCN, this this is our answer, right? Who are we called to be? At HFCN, we are committed to living lives of complete obedience to God. So we sense his love compelling us. To worship him wholeheartedly, but more than that, to reach beyond our walls, to welcome the outsider, the broken, the lost, the hopeless. Our work to bring hope to others through the person of Jesus Christ will make us relevant and valuable in our community. We launched last week into the series and we really focused on the final statement of that big statement of of what does it mean for a church in 2020 to be relevant? In our community, what does it mean for us to return, not to reinvent the purpose of the church, the purpose of the church, God's purpose for us has not changed, but what does it mean to return to his purpose in the year 2020, a relevant church? 
this week and next week, we're going to focus on the beginning and middle of that statement. Today, a call to obedience. And next week, a call to reaching beyond ourselves to those outside of our walls. And so this statement, over time, as we prayed and as we uh, really asked the Lord for guidance, we felt led to kind of re-articulate our mission. Now, I'm so grateful for the mission of this church that's gotten us to where we are today. But today, we're really introducing to you a new mission statement. And what is it, why is that important? It's not just a slogan. It's not just something you put on your wall. This is what guides us. This is what leads us. This is, of course, God's word. Of course, the Holy Spirit. But through his word, through his power at work in us, this is what helps us. This is what the guardrails that keeps us focused for such a time as this to be who he has called us to be. And so our new mission statement this morning, I want to share it with you, is is this, that we are transformed by God. We are transformed by God to bring hope to others through Christ. This is who we are. This is who we're called to be. In the year 2020 and beyond, this is who we've always been called to believe. We're not reinventing something, but what we're saying is in this day, in this time, the future is now. We believe this is the mission God has called us to be transformed by God, to bring hope to others through Christ. Did you know that when we worship here on Sunday morning, uh, we're one church and we don't just worship in English? I mean, we we worship in English in this service every week. Uh, We won't switch it up on you next week just to throw you off. But in our third service, each and every Sunday, we worship in Spanish because we believe God has called us to reach our community. In order to reach this community, we believe God's called us not to just reach those that speak English, but also those who speak Spanish. And we're one church, and we have one mission. And so here it is in Spanish for you. I'm going to give it another go. I did it Sunday night. Okay, I was told. So here it is. Transformados por Dios. Para traer esperanza a otros a través de Cristo. This is our mission. And so this week, next week, we're going to talk specifically, what does this mission mean for us? This week, transformed by God. Transformed by God. Would you turn with me uh, in your copy of your New Testament, if you have it, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, would love for you to turn there as we open up God's Word. Some of you have the Version Bible app. We have an event set up there. You can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, I just felt led to say this this week. Man, we would love to get you one. If you stop by the Connection Center, we would love to make sure today that you have a Bible. I don't want to take for granted everyone has one. But this is God's Word for us. And our mission, our mission is not something we made up. In fact, I, I want to be really clear. The next two weeks, we're really camped out in 2 Corinthians 5. And I want, I want it to be clear to all of us. That this is God's word propelling us forward into mission. And so we're going to begin in verse 14. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to a church. Sharing, uh, helping them articulate who are we called to be. Not just in the year 2020, 2,000 years ago. Who are we called to be? And I think this truth was relevant to this church in Corinth then. But I think it's relevant today. And so I want to share these words, and uh, we're going to go just a little bit by little bit through these uh, four verses. And so hang with me, but this is deep truth, good truth for us today. God's word, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 14. It says just these words, for Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love, the love of Christ compels us. That's a word that I love. It's very rich. It's very meaningful. But I'm not always sure that we understand that word. I don't know if we really develop context. And I've tried it out with my kids. Like, I feel compelled to ask you to bring me water. And they look at me like, Dad, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? What do you need? You know, it's it's not a word that I just try to drop it every now and then casually. And people are like, what? What's wrong with you? Are you okay? So so this word compelled, just so we understand, this is, is what it's saying. 
that the love of God, it, it urges us. It, it pushes us kind of gently but firmly, a nudge in the back. Right, right. It, 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 the love of God, it moves us. I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit of a creature of habit sometimes. Like I don't eat the same thing for breakfast every day and same thing for lunch, but I like routine. I like knowing what's coming on my calendar and filling it in with the details and checking off the boxes. That's kind of how I live. In my, some of you, are there are no boxes and there is no schedule. God bless you. We're very different, right? But I like being predictable. And the risk of that in my life, I don't know about your life, the risk of that in my life is even though I know Jesus and even though I have a relationship with him, there's times in my life I can get comfortable. And what Paul is saying is that when we look on the love of Christ, when we consider what Jesus has done for us, it moves us. We're talking about this idea of go this year, and I'm going to be honest. If it was up to me, I like staying. <laughs> I like doing my thing. I like where I am. I like where I'm comfortable. I like, but the love of Jesus Christ, it urges us. It does something within us where we're moved. It, we might have our heels. We might be kind of skid marks behind us, but, but because of the love of Christ, it urges us. It moves us. That's what Paul is telling us, and he goes on to explain why that is, how that is in verse 14. says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. That one died for all, that's Jesus Christ. That he died for all because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin, that, that you and I are sinners. And we're not just sinners because we told a lie or we, did, we kicked our cat because we're mad or whatever. We're sinners because we have a sin nature. We have a nature within us that if left on our own, in our own strength, we're always going to turn to self. We're always going to seek to gratify me. We're always going to seek the selfish desire within us. And that's sin nature. And that Jesus died and he took our place. We deserved sin. We deserved death. But Jesus took our place. That one died for all and therefore all died. One other translation says it this way, that we share in his death. In the benefit, right? That, that we have access to life because one died for all. We all died. But then also Paul would say it this way, that I have been crucified with Christ. But we identify with his death for us. This is what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 5, 14. He goes on to say, and he died, speaking of Christ, he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. What is our response to a love like this? A love that compels us. A love, a love that says that Jesus, he paid the price for all. What is our response to a love like that? Jesus didn't just say, I love you. And then kind of go off and do his own thing. Like, like husbands, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that you did well on Valentine's Day, husbands. All right? I'm hoping, right? I'm hoping you did your thing. But, oh man, I am hoping that you didn't just do that and think you're off for the year. You're good. You said it once. And if she wants to know, I, I said I loved her. Then I hope. I hope you realize that love is not just showing up once and getting out of the way. and say, No, no, no. We, that love is showing up time and time again. That's not just for the guys in the room. But sometimes we need a little reminder. So free advice there, right? But that's what love is. And can I tell you this morning, the people that have loved me most in my life are those that keep showing up for me. They don't just say, hey, I love you, man. They stay out of the way and good luck. And um, yeah. No, no, no. The people that love me most, they show up 
time and time again, even when it's messy, even when they don't know what to say, even when they keep showing up in my life. That is love. How do we respond to that kind of love, that kind of love of a God who, who didn't just show up once for us, but he keeps showing up? The response, Paul says, is we don't live for ourselves anymore. We don't live for, for me. Living for me is what got me into this mess. Living for me is what led me down a pathway of selfishness and, and narcissism and destruction. Living for me is what results in death. Right? Not just death one day, but death now. Like I look at my life when I'm living for me and it's just surrounded with chaos and brokenness and destruction and, and how I've used other people to get what I want and how I'm just seeking after every desire and every impulse and everything to make me happy. Right, but Because that's what it used to be, but not now because of the love of Christ. We no longer live for ourselves anymore what's our response to a god who loved us extravagantly do we we just wave at him at church once a week a speed bump on our way through the rest of the week hey god love you see you next week is that our response to a love like that is it a life of guilt and shame where we feel like we have to earn his love we have to be good enough to deserve the cross is that our response to a love like that no way our response is, God, I, I want to live for you. Not because I have to, but I want you, I want you God. I want to honor you with my life. I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to live for you. I want to give you glory. I want people to look at me, and, and I want everyone to be able to see that I'm, I'm pointing to you. Everyone to see, look at what love has done in my life. That's our response to this extravagant love. In verse 16, he would say it this way. In verse 16, so from now on, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. A worldly point of view. The love of God in Christ, Jesus Christ, poured out for us, dying on the cross, being nailed to the cross for your sin and my sin. That kind of love, it transforms our perspective. We can't view things the way we used to. We can't live according to that perspective anymore. It transforms our perspective. You see, the gospel doesn't eliminate our need for reason. And some of you in the room, you're skeptics. And you're, you're I get that. I mean, I understand. I'm so glad you would show up today because you think that in order to embrace this gospel and this truth and a relationship with God means that you have to throw away reason. That you have to take that part of your brain that likes facts and figures and evidence and proof. And you have to just chuck it out the window in order to embrace the kind of faith that we're talking about. And that's just not true. The gospel doesn't call us to abandon sound reason and judgment. But it does call us to embrace faith. It does call us to embrace faith. Faith that is rooted in truth. Faith that is rooted in evidence of who God is and what he's done. But faith that requires a new perspective. We're no, we're no longer operating just from the here and now perspective. The here and now perspective is the culture in which we live today, right? And we live according to a perspective that just says whatever we can touch, whatever we can possess, whatever we can accumulate in the here and now is what 
matters. And so the fruit of that, living that kind of life, is a life of just lusting after things and desire, whatever we can accumulate and possess to make us happy. And, and that is the culture and the world in which we're living in. But we no longer operate that way because of what the love of Christ has done in us. That's what Paul's saying. That's what got us into this mess. Living for here and now and according to just what we can see. If that's all that we value, what is right in front of us. But instead, we're invited into something much greater. We have to shift our mindset into something new. Embracing a faith that invites us beyond what we can just see right in front of us. And I said all of that to get us to verse 17. All of that, Paul is building on this idea of, of Christ's love compelling us, right? Because one died for all, and therefore we all died. And, and now we don't live for ourselves anymore, but we live for him. And we don't live by an earthly perspective anymore. We don't live according to just what we can see and hold and taste right in front of us. But there's something much deeper we're being invited into. Therefore, he says in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ. That's a deep word. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about what it means to be in Christ, but that means we belong to him. That means our identity is found in Christ. That means that we fully accept in faith what he has done for us. But if we are in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. This is the gospel and this is what it means to be transformed by God, that we are a new creation. The old is gone. Look, here comes the new. We believe, we believe that transformation is possible. We believe in a faith, in a God who doesn't just love us and say, well, good luck getting through and, and put your head down and work hard and it's going to be years and years and years of suffering, but one day if you work hard enough, then you, that's, not, that's not it. That's not the full picture of the gospel that we proclaim. We believe in a God that can transform lives, that can take what was old and beat up in a wreck, in a mess, and he can take that and transform and do something new and something beautiful. One theologian said it this way in light of the verse that we just read. He said it this way. He said that Christ died so that we might live through him. Christ died so that we might live for him. Christ died so that we might live with him. What does that mean? That Christ died so that we might live through him, that through his death, through his payment for our sins, we have access to life. Not just life one day. Not just life, oh, when I could get there. No, no, life today. Life that makes a difference right now, everyday life that you're living. He came through him. Through him we have access to life. But he died so that we could live for him. For him. That we don't live our lives just for us anymore. We live our lives to honor him. We live our lives to give him glory. We live our lives for him to get the spotlight, not us anymore Finally, he died so that we could live with him. His power at work in us. His promise that this earth, this world is not all there is. And one day we will reign with him eternally in heaven. He died so that we might live through him and for him. Yes, and with him. This morning, we believe in the power. The power of transformation. Is possible. Can I tell you a story today? Actually, can I tell you three? Can I tell you the story of transformation? Because maybe today you're a skeptic. 
Maybe today you're looking at the mess in your life and saying, there is no way. I want to tell you the story of three very ordinary people. They're really awesome people, but they would just say they're ordinary people. And they sit where you sit. And they have many of the same struggles that you may have. And their journey is not unlike some of the journeys that you've been on. But today, God is transforming them. I want to share their stories with you briefly. The first is Leslie. Leslie says this, due to many years of childhood abuse, I was closed off to everyone around me. I had learned through life experience that I needed to guard my heart and protect myself from ever being hurt again. To the outside world, I was bubbly and smiley and I never had a bad day and everything in my life was perfect. I never allowed anyone to see the truth of the hurts inside that I was feeling. Then after years of this behavior, I stopped feeling hurts altogether. I convinced myself that nothing and no one could ever hurt me again. I became an obsessive perfectionist. I struggled unknowingly with high-functioning anxiety and PTSD. The pain that I avoided for so long eventually manifested itself in suicidal thoughts and even an attempt on my life. From a very young age, I loved Christ with everything in me. I didn't realize that I couldn't be obedient to his call on my life if my heart was so hard and I was unwilling to open up to those around me. About eight years ago, Christ started to show me how deeply I was affected by these things that were happening. He took me through a series, a series of events that ultimately led to my healing and taught me how to allow myself to be open and vulnerable to others. He set me free from the prison that was my hurt, from my PTSD and even suicidal thoughts. He has taught me that his joy has nothing to do with being perfect or looking perfect. It has nothing to do with pretending like I never got hurt or have bad days, but it looks like trusting him in the midst of life's pain and allowing those people in my life who care about me to walk with me through the pain. I'm still a work in progress, and some days I still don't want anyone to see this messy heart, but ultimately I know he is using my journey to bring glory to himself. That is a story of transformation. Can I tell you another? This is Scott. Scott says it this way. Scott says on February 16th, 2019, I died. I had finally come to the end of myself. There was no other avenue of self that would make any difference in the circumstances I'd created for myself. And at that point, I completely, unconditionally surrendered to Jesus. In doing that, I surrendered my head knowledge. I surrendered the many years of bad decisions. I surrendered my pride and my right to myself. The truth is I had done so many reprehensible things over the years that shame and isolation and depression and anxiety and fear had wrapped itself around me and I felt worthless. Death would have been welcomed. I I didn't want to kill myself, but I, I was so weary And so ready to get out from underneath the misery I was living in. Now looking back over this past year and examining and seeing it with a truthful heart, I can see Jesus and his perfect timing. He did allow me to die, but more importantly, to be reborn into the life that he had for me, which is full and rich. It is real and present. Even though I still live with the challenges of my prior existence, I now have a Savior, a Lord, and a friend that loves me, and I love him. In him, I have worth and purpose. He says this in all caps, he has given me joy. 
and my desire is to truly live for him. All this is because of Jesus. And Jesus alone can save, redeem, and transform a lost soul. I've got one more. Rodolfo, he he sits where you sit in our third service, our Spanish-speaking service, but he too is experiencing the power of transformation in his life. And briefly, this is what he says. He says this, God has transformed me in ways that I could have never imagined. I can say the biggest challenge was really me. It's not the physical things that you can see, but rather my heart and my mindset. I was self-centered and egocentric. Everything had to revolve around me, and that attitude I took into my marriage. My wife has been the person that suffered the most because of that. My wife had to be patient and persistent, and I know she prayed a lot through her suffering. My marriage is fruitful today because of the grace of God. He had a bigger and better plan for my life and my marriage. Today, I am a totally different person, not because anything I have done, but because God is good. I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better son and brother, but most important, I'm a better servant. Through God touching and healing me, I have learned to truly care about others. I can honestly say that I'm happier and more excited than ever in my life. And the reason for that is because I wake up every day expecting God's love and favor on my life. Church, today, we believe in the transforming work in the power of God in ordinary lives in ordinary people, transformation is possible today. This is really what I want you to know. What is transformation really about? What is it that each of these stories has in common? I believe each and every story, it's really about obedience. Obedience. In fact, I'll say it this way. I believe that the transforming work of God begins the moment we say yes to him. The moment we say yes, that God is able to do, to work in you and through you to transform the things that you thought were dead, the things that you thought were hopeless, the things that you thought would always have to be this way. I believe the moment that we say yes to him, not just yes once, but after each and every opportunity, when we say yes to him, the transforming power of our God through our obedience can do more than you can ask or think, or imagine, that God does the transforming work as we obey, and because of that disobedience, disobedience to God has the power to stunt God's transforming work. It has the power to kind of put a lid on his ability to transform in your life, but because of disobedience, that obedience and transformation, they go together. You don't have one without the other. That we may see, because of the grace of God, we may see obedience as kind of a luxury, Like, maybe I'll do that, I'll get to it when I can, but that's not true. Saying obedience is a luxury is like saying the next breath you take is a luxury. Obedience is critical. And so as we introduce this brand new mission statement of being transformed by God, it's obedience. Obedience. That must be our focus. You say today, I believe in God. Well, man, the Bible says, the gospel says, even the demons in hell believe in God. You say, well, I have faith in him, but in James 2, it says that faith without works, faith without obedience is worthless. God desires obedience. 
Dallas Willard, a famous author, speaker, pastor, he says it this way, transformation into Christ's likeness is not going to happen unless we act. What transforms us is the will to obey Christ Jesus. The transforming work of God begins the moment we say yes. My story, my story as I share it, if, if people ask me kind of where I got to where I am, how did I know I was going to be a pastor, how did I get you know, from a, like a scrawny, awkward middle school kid that was afraid of everything to where I am now. I'm still kind of awkward. Uh, you know, but how did I get here? What was my story? And time and time again, throughout the process of being ordained as an elder in the Church of the Nazarene, I had to time and time again share my story. And for me, my story might be different than yours. But for me, I, I wasn't driving down the road and I looked up and saw a billboard that said, Adrian, be a pastor. I wasn't, you know, relaxing outside at the park, and I saw a plane spell out in the clouds, ministry. And that never was my story. And I'm not discounting, for some of us, the radical story, that life-altering moment where in that moment you knew and you heard the voice of God. But I'm just telling you that that is not my story. My story, from a middle school boy until now, has been a series of invitations from God that simply says, Will you say yes to me? As a 10th grader in high school, Adrian, will you say yes to me to help start this community Bible study on Friday nights where kids that don't know Christ can come? Yes, God, I'll do that. Adrian, will you be a leader in your youth group, even knowing that that's going to alienate you from other? Yes, God, I'll do that. Adrian, would you be willing, not just to go to the college that you want to, but if I want to send you here so that you can prepare for, will you go? Yes, God, I'll do that. Dozens and dozens and dozens of moments in my life I can point back to that moment in time where I heard the voice of God and I had to say yes. Yes. So this morning, how will you respond to his invitation? How will you respond? Maybe today your invitation is not some grand life altering. Maybe it is, but maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's just an invitation to say, husband, I want you to lead and serve your wife like never before. I want you to lay down your life for your marriage. For some student that says, I want you to stop being so ashamed of who I am and my love for you. For others, it's, it's, you need real help, and it's time. It's time to make the call. It's time to open up whatever it is. And that may seem so big to you, but in the grand scheme of things, it's one yes. It's one moment in time. But in that moment, in that yes, in that obedience, God can begin the transforming work that our disobedience often pushes to the side. That our disobedience often puts a lid on what God can do today. How will you respond to his invitation? Will you trust him? Will you say yes? Will you obey him? Will you let him lead your life? The transforming work of God begins the moment we say yes. And it continues every single time that we say yes to him. This morning, I'm going to invite you um, to just be still with me for a moment. And, and that's hard in the world in which we live. We're ready to go on to the next thing. And good sermon, let's go. Yeah, I get that. Maybe it wasn't a good sermon, but let's go. I, I, whatever. But this morning, I just want to invite you to be still and quiet for a moment. I'm going to invite you, uh, if you would, would you just close your eyes for a minute? 
bow your heads. We, we, we pray often like that, and it's not because we have to. But sometimes uh, it's good for our souls to be still. It's good for our mind, our heart, to just shut out everything else and ignore for just a minute all the things being thrown our way and just to be still enough for a moment to hear the voice of God. This morning, I want to extend two specific invitations. And I really uh, don't, this is not a public display. And so this morning, we, we just lowered the lights and this is kind of a private moment between you and the Lord. But today, there are some people in the room today that maybe you have never said yes to a relationship with God. You have never said yes to really allow him to be your savior. He paid the price for you on the cross, but skepticism and doubt and fear has always kept it at arm's length. And today you're ready to say, maybe for the first time, yes, God, I'll trust you. I'll let you lead my life. I'll go where you want me to go. I I, I will live for you. It's not about me anymore. I've done the me thing long enough. I've lived for me long enough. And today in faith, I say yes. So some of you in the room, are, are, we're going to pray in a minute. But as we're just in this moment of stillness before the Lord, if that's you, would you just have the courage to stand today? I want to pray for you. But this is big. And this is not a, an audition. This is not a look at me, stand away. This is just a quiet stillness, but it is obedience. It is yes to God. That you know in your heart today, you have not put your trust fully in him. You know today that you're keeping him at a distance. And today, in faith, you want to say, yes, God, I will respond to your voice. If that's you, would you just have the courage right now to stand to your feet? You don't need to come up. You don't need to move from where you are. Would you just have the courage to stand because I want to pray for you. I want to pray that this morning your yes could be the moment of transformation. This is just between you and God. If that's you, would you just have the courage to stand? Yes, God. Yes, God. You're my Savior. Yes, God. You paid the price for me. Yes, God. I'm, I'm sick of living for me. I want to live for you, God. I believe in faith. You can transform my life. And today the first step is just saying yes in faith. I don't understand it. I can't, I can't explain it all, God, but in faith, I'm saying yes. There's others today. There's a specific area in your life. You may know Jesus. You may be following him. But you can admit today there's an area of your life that is not pleasing to him. There's an area of your life where you have not said yes to him. Maybe you did once upon a time, but you've allowed fear, you've allowed selfishness, you've allowed sin, you've allowed disobedience to creep in. And so today, you know, because you sense the Spirit, you sense the voice of the Lord pointing to this area. And today, if that's you, would you have the courage to say yes today? Would you have the courage to say, God, I've been disobeying you. I've been putting a lid on your power and your ability to transform my life. And so today, I'm going to say yes. If that's you, would you just have the courage to stand? It's not, we, we don't, we're not seeking the applause of man today, but before the Lord, a, a simple act of obedience that says, God, I'm serious about this. I'm serious about obeying you in every area of my life. God, I'm serious about not holding anything back from you. God, show me today, search my heart. And today, if he reveals something to you that's not pleasing to him, today, if you want to ask God, you want to invite him to purify your heart, to free you from even the desire of sin so that you can obey him, so that you can be transformed. If that's your desire today, would you just stand? I just want to pray for you. We're not going to 
drag this on, but this is a moment. And this moment matters. And it matters not just for this moment, but for the course of eternity. Some of the things that might hang in the balance in the midst of our obedience. God, I'm praying today. I'm praying today for a church that would be obedient to you. We would hold nothing back. We would believe that you have the power to transform, but we got to do our part, God. We got to trust you. We got to follow you. We got to obey you. We got to serve you. We got to be willing to do the next thing that you show us. And so forgive us, Lord, when fear has had the final word. Forgive us when comfort has the final word. God, we believe, we believe in this church that you don't just invite us to live an impossible call of a holy life, that you want to purify our hearts. You want to transform us, God, to make us like Christ. We can only do that through your power and your strength. And so we're desperate today. We're desperate today for you to show up in our brokenness and in our pain and in our confusion. We believe you can and you will as we obey. So Lord, thank you for obedience today in the room. Church, would you stand this morning as we prepare to close? Um, Today we get the opportunity to do something that's just sacred and beautiful. We get the opportunity to come to the table. And if you don't know what communion is, it is a sacred moment in our church, a sacrament where we come and we're reminded of Jesus, right? We just read that in 2 Corinthians 5, that he died for all. And so when we come and we take communion, we're remembering and giving thanks that Jesus paid the price for us. And the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood which is poured out for you. Take this. Remember me. And so today we remember that it's only through Christ. It's only because of Christ that we can be transformed. And so today you're invited to come to the table. You don't have to be a member of this church. You just have to desire to say, I want to obey. I want to say yes. And if that's you today, in just a minute you'll be invited. We're going to sing. We're going to stand to our feet and worship. But you're invited to take the elements. Some will take them back to their seats and quietly receive them. Some of them may want to kneel at an altar and just have a quiet moment to gather with others and family and pray. You're invited to the table this morning. All are welcome. Jesus, we sense your voice calling us today. We want to obey. We want to trust you. Thank you for this opportunity. This is a means of grace that I don't deserve to come to the table. I don't deserve to receive your death and your forgiveness in my place, but I come, and as I come, I receive grace. And I I come with a heart of gratitude for who you are and what you've done. We love you, and we worship you now. King Jesus, amen. Thank you again for listening here today. If you have any questions at all, feel free to reach out to us at info at abeaconofhope.org. That's info at abeaconofhope.org. If you happen to be in the Harrisonburg, Virginia area, we'd love for you to join us at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia. We meet every Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. in English and then at 11.45 in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every week, Monday nights at 6 p.m. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please be sure to subscribe in order to get updates and new episodes. 